Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and if you're trying to build a leadership plan, you're in the right place. In addition to podcasting, I'm a leadership coach, a strategic and fundraising consultant, a speaker, and an author. By the way, check out my book, also titled Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership. And if you want to help us make this podcast better, take our podcast survey. You can find it on the homepage at patentmcdowell.com or within the show notes of this episode. It'll take about five minutes. Just tell us what you want to hear more about. And if you're one of the first three that respond this week, I'll give you a shout out on the upcoming episode, lifting up not only your leadership in our sector, but also the great organization that you represent. Hopefully it'll elevate your cause just a little bit more. Well, thanks as always for listening. And I know you're going to enjoy this conversation I had with Gauri Monglik, who really is a renaissance leader in our sector. Now, she's in many sectors. In fact, she has expertise in technology. She is a multiple startup entrepreneur and really is a visionary for our nonprofit sector. As the co-founder and CEO of Instrumental, she has created a fantastic resource tool to help with one of your biggest challenges, which is fundraising especially in the grants management space as you work with foundations as potential funders. And Gauri and I jumped right in uh, because she has looked at literally hundreds of nonprofit organizations with which they work and seen some of the things that perhaps you're dealing with right now. Number one, we talk about efficiency. You've got a lot on your plate. How can you manage everything that you have in motion and do it more effectively? We also talk about the needs for nonprofit organizations to articulate their logic model. And, and Gary talks about what that is and how you can make it more effective so that it resonates with your funders. And of course, we're going to talk about actually raising more money, which is exactly the tools and the support structure that Gary at Instrumental is trying to provide. Lots of reasons. Check out the show notes for this episode. It's number 170. Just go to the new podcast page at patentmcdowell.com, and you can find out all about the resources Gary and I discuss, as well as more information on her and the great work she's doing at Instrumental. And that's the word instrument, add the letter L, and you will find them on the internet. And of course, in this episode show notes, she's got some great free resources linked up for us, as well as a special offer if you'd like to try one of their tools. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Gory Monglik. Gory, thank you for joining me on the path. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have this conversation. You have had a fantastic career. And of course, the work you're doing now allows you to work with thousands of nonprofits. You see their successes. You see their challenges. And I was struck by one challenge that you and I exchanged before this episode about efficiency. And I know you see great nonprofit missions, but sometimes they are challenged by efficiency. What do you mean by that? Or what do you see that tells you an organization is trying to get better at its efficiency? And what do they do about it? Yeah, I think at its core, um, you can kind of think about it in, in there are two kind of ways to kind of grow your organization. You either really focus first on trying to like prove a sustainable model and a sustainable flywheel, or you're trying to prove the model while scaling at the same time. And I think that latter one is where there can be a lot of inefficiencies um, because you're trying to basically build the plane while you're flying 
and um, you haven't really gotten to a place where you can come from a position of strength with a proven model with with outcomes with data that you can point to that makes it easier for you to fundraise which will make it easier for you to hire the right people and then that kind of loop continues uh, being being able to like execute on great programs that have you know promising outcomes and 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 that things like that so i think really from you know efficiency sounds like you know, you, okay, you just add a bunch of tools and like automate things, but it, right. I think it's really more systemic and it really starts from the beginning and making sure that you have a proven model from which you can like build and scale from. And that means like having the right, um, uh, the right people at the beginning, you have the right kind of level of focus and concentration on the things that are really going to make the most difference uh, right at the beginning. Love that. And I know we're going to unpack that further because that is exactly, I know what you help organizations do, particularly around fundraising, generally grant seeking in particular. Before we unpack that, though, Gory, if I could, let me ask you, how did you get into this kind of work uh, as we learn more about you and Instrumental? But first, uh, maybe tell us a little bit how you got here. Yeah, I came from a different, uh, I, I think maybe like a not the most common approach in that it was kind of on accident. Um, <laughs> right. I I'm have more of a tech, like a start for-profit startup background. Um, right, I right. had a, I studied computer science in college. I started a company uh, right out of my last semester, a senior year in, a, in an entrepreneurship class. And that really gave me the like startup, the tech startup bug. I yes. had a full-time job lined up at a finance company as a developer. And I thought that I could work on that while also working on this new company that I'd started out of school. But in reality, I got so into my company, my startup that I ended up leaving that finance job, that full-time finance job in six weeks. Um, so really got the bug, wow. worked on that company uh, that was in New York for two years. And then we went through a talent acquisition with Airbnb. So I moved out West, got to work with some great people at a really exciting time in that company's journey. And then I got connected to my co-founder, Angela, totally personally. Uh, she's my wife now. Um, we were dating at the time and she was from the space. Like she um, really had the in initial insight to say uh, that the way that funding models work uh, outside of the kind of for-profit landscape are super inefficient. And she partnered with another co-founder, Catherine, and they were getting started with um, a different model back then. It was actually a crowdfunding platform for female scientists. Right. And so they explored models, different types of funding models, different types of customer segments. So like academic researchers, universities, um, even kind of building a marketplace between uh, researchers and funders directly. And then and then kind of we eventually got to nonprofits and we realized that um, because they and they both saw were able to see that connection because they both had worked at nonprofits and had also Angela had also worked at a funder giving out grants to nonprofits. Right. And they realized that that's where there's a real both the combination of a hair on fire problem on the grant seeker <laughs> side and also um, a more sustainable business model, right? Where like, whereas like for academic researchers, it's not literally their job to fundraise, but in within nonprofits, there are people whose job it is to fundraise and that makes for a much better, uh, you know, person to try to support with a business. I love that. And of course, love the entrepreneurial spirit you have brought to with along with your partners, this organization, uh, the the technology side, you know, I've, I've got to believe there are lots of applications for nonprofit leaders listening, and you have kind of meshed these things together. Well, and tell us uh, again, for those listeners who don't yet know, what is instrumental? 
Yeah. So, um, you know, first of all, the reason Instrumental exists is because we were really excited to bring a like modern approach to building products and companies uh, to the nonprofit space. We felt like the the companies that were a lot of the companies that were out there, um, they're a little bit more old school or they they just weren't able to like invest in their product and design and technology. And so that's what right. we really think differentiates us. And our first focus is on institutional fundraising. And so that's anything and all things related to grants. So what you can do with Instrumental is manage your grants process end to end and, co and collaborate with your team along the way. So you can prospect for new opportunities and new funders. You can do deep dive research analysis into these funders, understand what they've given, who, they, who they've given to in the past, um, create your pipeline and your grant calendar and actually manage that pipeline on Instrumental. So you can say you know, which ones you've applied for, which ones you're still pursuing and keep your whole team aligned and save time. Uh, there's no like redundancy across the team with um, people kind of accidentally re-researching things. Um, and then we also allow you to keep track of your progress after you've won the grant. So you can keep track of reporting deadlines and we're adding a lot more there so that you can really be that the only tool that you need when it comes to making your life easier when it comes to grants. Um, the other thing that's pretty neat about what we're working on is that we're working on a lot of integrations with CRMs. Um, so if you need to keep some information up to date on your Salesforce or your Razor's Edge, soon you'll be able to just kind of manage um, all your grant work on Instrumental and have updates kind of seamlessly um, sync where needed into your other um, into your other CRMs. And so yeah, yeah we work with over 2,000 nonprofits today, helping them overall apply for about 78% more applications while actually saving them three hours of time a week. That's something we're really proud of. All right. Well, you got my attention there. And I speak for many fundraisers and out listening right now who, again, as you just articulated, you know, it's not just the grant acquisition, it's the reporting. In fact, I was talking to a client today. And so you have captured the entire grant cycle. I, I wonder, Gory, is there is there a sweet spot in terms of the types of organizations that best benefit from instrumental in terms of either size of the organization or or sector? Or do you find it works pretty much across you know the gamut? Yeah, I would say pretty we work with organizations all across the spectrum in terms of um sector. And in terms of the size, I would the way that I would answer that is I I think there's really two buckets of folks that we work with. The one of them uh, is definitely in our sweet spot, which is, you know, you as an organization have decided that grants are a priority. You've proven that channel out, you've got the flywheel spinning and you want to add kind of gasoline to that fire yeah. and accelerate that or streamline that, keep everyone organized. That's kind of like a no brainer. Like you should, you know, definitely be checking out a tool like instrumental to help save you time and, and overall be more successful. The other bucket, which tends to be smaller organizations, or it could actually be a larger organization that's trying grants for the first time, and it's, they're just you know experimenting with adding that to their fundraising strategy. And in either way, they're kind of in the boat of like, okay, we're trying grants out, and we're trying to prove if this is a ROI positive strategy for us. And so for them, we also you know love working with these organizations. We work with a lot of them. Um, but some of them will decide, okay, well, maybe grants aren't the right fit, or maybe we weren't actually as like ready to apply for grants. And the others will kind of move into the, the kind of the first bucket that I mentioned where they, okay, now they're like winning grants and proven out the model. And then they end up being like great long-term customers with us. You can grow with them, right? In that case where there's, you see the growth and potential, I guess you can expand as their capacity expands as well. Yeah, exactly. Because mm -hmm. I was wondering, it gets, so if I'm a, if I'm a small shop, and and this, as you know, many nonprofits, you know, generally 
small staffed. I mean, I guess this would supplement the capacity of even a single fundraiser. Is that possible? Or do you find that there needs to be enough sufficient staffing capabilities to maximize your tool? I think it's a matter, it ends up being a matter of kind of priority as yeah. well as a capacity. We've worked with a number of, we work with a ton of folks that are like the main user on instrumental is the executive director. And obviously they've got tons of other things they're doing, but right. um, for, you know, for some reason at that organization at that time, they've decided that um, grants are enough of a priority that the executive director is going to be regularly applying for grants. Maybe it's like one grant a month. And so then a tool like instrumental can really help to automate a lot of the, the burden of trying to figure out which grant to pursue um, and just kind of staying on top of deadlines. Um, but uh, but in that case, even if it's that one person who's like wearing multiple hats, um, you know, in that in that example, like that organization has decided that it's worth, you know, 10 or 20 percent of that executive director's time. And so then it would be worth it to consider to like instrumental if you're really if you're really like not able to dedicate, you know, at least 20 percent of a person's time, I think then, um, you know, you can definitely check out instrumental um, or tool like instrumental, but you might be better served with focusing on potentially growing other channels and getting to a place where you have more capacity internally to take on another fundraising channel right. or just like kind of doing the work to get yourself more grant ready um, before actually jumping into like actually starting to apply for grants. Uh, and, and again, given the, the focus you have on helping organizations improve their efficiency as well as their capacity, particularly as it relates to grant funding, uh, I know you've talked about helping nonprofit leaders better train their staff. So I guess that's another way, I guess, that you help build capacity. So it's not just a single person utilizing your tools or maybe speak to that, what you see in terms of, of training opportunities. Yeah. One of the things we learned early on is that a lot of the ways that um, like typically like software vendors will try to like sell you is they'll do like demos and then they will kind of set you up with a subscription and they'll kind of like let you go. <laughs> and right, we right. found that that just wasn't leading to people being able, our users being able to like meet their desired outcomes on our product. And that's ultimately like really important for us if we want to create like a sustainable flywheel of like happy customers. And so what we do is we actually have a one-on-one -on -one onboarding call with all of our, with all the folks that are trying us out. Um, and the call is really designed to train you on the tool so that you can really make the most of your 14 days. And what we'll do with you is we'll getting to get to know you a little bit, and then we'll actually have you log into your account, share your screen with us, and kind of walk through the platform together, nice. keeping the use cases in mind. So you're actually kind of using Instrumental in those 30 minutes, but with a guide on that call to help you really know how you're going to make the most of it. A lot of those calls have like multiple people on them. Like if you have multiple people that might be using the tool, you can add them all to that onboarding call. Or if you need like a follow-up call, our team is also happy to do that um, even while you're exploring the platform. Um, I think that we just learned that having you actually use the tool with us as a guide was a much better way for you to actually kind of train yourself and potentially train your staff on using the tool. And yep. then for those folks that are actually, you know, just getting started with grants, there's often a lot of coaching that our team does to just, you know, help you understand if you are grant ready or if you're just getting started, like what are some of the terminologies? Like how do you use a 990 report to look at a funder's um, past giving? Like why is that important? So we're actually kind of giving you that training on grant fundraising as a whole as well. That's fascinating. And again, the format that you just described would allow me to bring my colleagues into the mix. If I'm a nonprofit leader, perhaps wearing too many hats, 
and you have provided both the tools and the training, I guess, to expand uh, that grant opportunity that uh, might exist. Yeah, exactly. What are some of the mistakes you see? And maybe you've alluded to this, organizations that are inefficient in some of this process or not, uh, I guess, managing both the grant acquisition side as well as the reporting, or are there other things given that your work with so many organizations, any particular challenge or mistakes you're seeing that maybe they're making? Totally, yeah. Um, the first one I touched on a bit, but it's definitely worth mentioning again, is organizations that haven't, is organizations almost jumping too soon into applying for grants without making sure that their grant is ready to, or set up for success. Good point. You want to get to a place where, of course, you have your, you know, 501c3 registration and, you know, your board list and, you know, strong board and, and your mission defined and all of those things. But those are really the, um, you know, that's just like really the baseline. There's more that to do on top of that before pursuing grants and because grants tend to be a more, a longer term ROI uh, fundraising strategy. And the reason for that is that funders tend to be a bit more risk averse when they're giving you like 10,000 or 100,000 or a million dollars versus an individual who maybe can give you $10. So it's really important to have some sort of demonstration of 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 your um, possibility of delivering on on your impact before right, you pursue right. it and that will just make the whole process of applying for grants like much easier from the start and then the other piece is making sure that you have the organizational capacity to implement those programs and report back to the funder with you know with your impact and with your wins so that you can build those long-term relationships so i'd say the first thing in terms of kind of mistakes i see is folks not really doing that upfront work to make sure they're grant ready also not doing the upfront work to potentially like learn about the grants process maybe like talk to some experts maybe take a you know take a course instrumental has a lot of free resources in our blog i think there's a lot of learn upfront learning that can happen um, that will really help you um, try to not make it make mistakes um, in the process as you move forward another thing that i see folks do is um not realizing that a lot of grants, even though there is often an open application, not realizing that grants uh, will really benefit from a, a very similar kind of relationship building approach as yeah. you would do for major donors. Right. Um, so you know, there's still people on the other side of that per, at that institution reading your application. The more you can do to warm the relationship, the better off you'll be. Um, I generally recommend best case scenario is of course having some sort of introduction through your board or through your network. I would say second best is just reaching out to them and 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 what you need to do the minimum that you're trying to do with that is just get some sort of confirmation that your program and organization is in line with what they want to fund this coming cycle sometimes they don't update their website with all the things that they're thinking about you know all the things that have been updated in their own minds about what they'd like to fund the next cycle so you just want to get that verification that okay it's actually worth it for you to spend your time and then they'll hopefully remember your name um, and your you know very well-written concise email when, <laughs> right. when they're actually reading your applications and then another tip i have um to try to build contact or even just get more information on on other organizations um kind of processes to see if you know anybody who have been past recipients of that funder right um as opposed to just looking at people at the funder directly i wouldn't like necessarily start with asking them for an introduction, but just try to get to know them and see if they're willing to provide tips. Like, did they actually need to have an, did they have a relationship with the funder or were they able to like just apply directly? And that can also help inform your strategy. 
That's a fantastic checklist of advice. Clearly, your leadership team has been on the grant making side, haven't they, <laughs> to understand some of the challenges of well-intentioned grant seekers. But as you put it, not really having that kind of initial organization, having their material ready and, and frankly, underestimating, again, that grant management, because I have seen that as well with organizations we work with where they uh -oh, you know, be careful what you wish for. You get the funding. And then you're not providing the the uh, requisite follow up that the funder is seeking. So, wonderful advice there, uh, Gory, on all fronts. And you you make another point, I think, in your teaching uh, with organizations or training about uh, creating a logic model. And maybe you could speak to that. What is a logic model for grants, and how can that help an organization in building their grant seeking uh, program? Yeah, a logic model is basically, you know, it's, it's, you can think about it very simply. It's just essentially like your plan for a particular program. Um, and so it's like all the things associated with it. Typically, it's your, your goals, objectives, inputs and outputs, and your outcomes associated with that particular program. And it's helpful for you to um, like fully understand why this project or program needs to exist and um, basically have all the answers to questions when you're actually going in to like apply for a particular grant. Right. A lot of those questions are going to be like kind of similar or a lot of the aspects of a logic model are pretty similar to what you'll end up um, actually be describing in your grant application form. So things like what are all the things that you need, your kind of inputs, like what are the, you know, the staff supplies, um, other types of uh, resources that you need to make this happen. What are the activities, like the specific work of the project or the program, like that's gonna happen? Um, like what are the weekly programs or the meals that you're making, for example? Then what are the like immediate outputs that are gonna happen from these activities? Maybe like the number of people that are gonna be served by your programs. And the other piece is the outcomes. So these are like kind of the shorter change things that you're hoping to see through the activities. And then you're all leading, this is all leading into like the overall impact, like the longer term change that you're hoping to have. And I think, you know, even if a funder doesn't ask for all of these pieces, it's still helpful for you to really understand this deeply and make sure it all makes sense to you. Um, because then you can come to the grant application or request from a position of, you know, feeling like you have a very confident plan and that funding your program should be a no brainer uh, because you actually have a clear idea of how you're going to create that longer term impact that you know is hopefully in line with what that funder cares about because you've done your due diligence on the funder's priorities as well. well that's fantastic. I mean, it, you, in essence, is a framework, right? That gives you a, a solid kind of starting point. I guess you can tailor to a particular funder, but that framework or that logic model gives you something to provide a consistent approach and I guess design your marketing material and anything else that helps you uh, represent your nonprofit. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of a framework to make sure you're thinking about kind of all the aspects of the of the program to make sure that you're you're kind of really thinking holistically about how to set it up for success. Now, something else, Gar, you have said, and I wanted to lift up that you talk about what does it mean to work with a scarcity versus abundance mindset. And I'm guessing you see both of those mindsets as you work with organizations. So talk about the differences. And I'm assuming that you're going to lead us into an abundance mindset. Yeah, I think that um, before I talk about kind of this topic, which I think is a you know hot topic in the nonprofit space, I do like to give a caveat that um, that 
you know, the scarcity mindset that you often see in nonprofits, it's not like all on the nonprofit to solve, right? There's a, there's a real reason why that exists and donors and funders um, play a big role in, in creating that. Um, right. I, and so if you, if we just focus on, I mean, I think there's a lot to say on what a nonprofit can do to kind of adjust that mindset for themselves, but um, it's, it's certainly not the full story of, of, of why this scarcity mindset exists in the first place. It's kind of like, I like to say it's kind of like the lean in movement for women. Um, like, yeah, like women should, and, you know, I obviously lean in, take opportunities where they can, but if you just focus on women leaning in, you kind of miss the bigger story of like why we're even needing to have this conversation in the first right. place. Um, right. But that being said, um, I think that, you know, what is an abundance mindset? It's like, have this, this idea that you are not um, lacking for options or choices. You have enough resources, plenty of resources for everyone. I think that the way that the most important way that I see this coming into play in the fundraising world is really coming to the fundraising table, feeling and realizing that you can actually, you're creating a win-win. Um, you're not begging the funder for money. You're not in an imbalance of power, even though my, it's definitely set up for you to feel that way. Um, but really, is there a way that you can change your mindset to realize that actually the funder has a problem to be solved? That's why they exist. There's hundreds of billions of dollars being given out um, every year from you know philanthropic um, philanthropic dollars. And if you think about it as just like altruism, it's it can be easy to kind of feel that you need to be in this mindset of like kind of convincing and um, not having kind of an equal kind of power dynamic. Um, right. But if you come from a place of this, these funders actually, or these donors actually have a problem to be solved um, and you have done the work, this is important. You've done the work to convince yourself. You've done the logic models. You've done the work. You have a very clear and confident understanding of how you're, you know, you're working on something that's really important. That's also in line with what the funder wants. You want to come from a place where it should feel like a no brainer for that funder to fund you. Love that and, perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you so, want to see, I guess, get to a place where you have that and also initial traction um, so that that funder can, you and that funder can see together that your solution, that your your kind of approach is on the right track. Are you seeing progress on that front, Gary, as you work with organizations? Because you're right. I think many of them still remain. They, they grew up, so to speak, in the scarcity mindset. They are uh, appealing in ways that are kind of purely charitable. And, and I don't mean that in the best sense, as opposed to partnering as you described, but uh, do you see progress as you interact with organizations on this front? I would say qualitatively, I see more conversation about this just in general over the past 10 years, uh, let's say. Um, more conversation about um, kind of this idea of not like only focusing on reducing your overhead. Um, that's not the only way to measure a success at a nonprofit, right? It should Good be focused point. on impact. Um, I see conversations around like trust-based philanthropy on the funder side to, to make it um, easier for uh, uh, grantees to know or, or, or potential nonprofits to know, um, you know, what the process is like, what having that process be more transparent, potentially like less complex. So definitely see those conversations happening. Um, I, I think during COVID that was, an interesting time where a lot of funders gave out funds like much more rapidly and actually like put some of these things into practice. And I think we're, um, you know, going into 2023, uh, we'll need to kind of see how that plays out over the next couple of years. Yeah, you're right. I, 
I want to be optimistic, um, but I'm glad that you're kind of making the point you are that organizations need to be more uh, appropriately abundance oriented and partnering with these funders. Because you're right, these organizations are solving a problem. These funders want to help by their investment, but I'm not sure organizations always bring that perspective that you just articulated. So I'm glad you did just that. Um, Gory, let me ask you about what do you most enjoy about this work? You know, again, I, starting back to my early comment, the fascination you bring technology, entrepreneurship, but yet a spirit for the nonprofit community. I wonder what really excites you about the work you're doing right now. I think the the most exciting piece is building a product that solves a problem for a group of people that are really great to work with and yeah. that are doing great things. So like if somebody's successful with the product that that me and my team builds, um, that means that they're able to be like just a little bit more successful in their overall mission. Like that's really, I think, meaningful for for me and, and basically everybody that works at Instrumental. And we have people that have worked at all different types of, you know, technology companies before um, in various roles like sales, customer support, and, you know, even on the technology side. And they're always so refreshed and relieved when they talk to the you know our customers our prospects because right. people that work in the space are are nice they're you know they're mission oriented they're um you know they're not they're not trying you know they're straightforward um and they're generally warm and so just from like a day-to-day -day standpoint that's also it's also a really great um space to work in just from like day-to-day -day interaction standpoint yeah i completely agree and if uh kind of enjoyed my career in this space for exactly that reason. They're good people. And it's nice to see what you're bringing to supplement the the great work of missions. Is your work largely in, in the U.S. And, and Canada now? And well, let's talk about what where is Instrumental going? You're clearly growing and getting better. Uh, what's the future like for your organization? Yeah, so we, um, you know, we're focused on being the only tool you need for all things grants. Uh, so there's still more to build and flesh out there that we're very excited about. Yeah. We, and when we started Instrumental, we've really focused on just the prospecting piece and have since added in a lot more on the tracking side and are still continuing to do that, especially on the post-award tracking side. So like, what do you do once you've won the grant? How do you track um, your, you know, your spending? How do you track, um, things at a more detailed granular level, we're still getting there. Right. Um, and then I think there's a whole host of other ways in which we can build, kind of continue to flex this muscle of like, I think building really great software for the community. And one of the ways, I think a couple of the ways kind of naturally stem from where we're at. So again, on the post award side, so like helping you with managing your spending, then on the reporting side, helping you with actually managing, tracking and reporting on your outcomes so that you can easily build those reports. Um, and then the other way in which we uh, will expand is actually looking a little bit outside of the nonprofit space into other organizations that have similar workflows. Uh, so right. for example, government agencies and schools, they actually try to use Instrumental today, but we're not often um, the best fit for them right now. So um, so, so yeah, those you'll are keep working on that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you'll find a way though, right? I bet. Yeah. Well, I wonder, and I guess, again, uh, as you consider, I guess, global expansion, I wonder if what you see in terms of grant philanthropy on the global scale, or maybe I'm premature in posing that question, but I am curious as I talk to leaders around the world, 
um, I, I'm guessing you see application of the work you do in just about any environment. Oh, yeah, that's another big area of expansion for us. We've currently focused on primarily like U.S.-based organizations, um, right. both on the on the kind of the grant content that we have and the funders that we have is on in our system as well as the nonprofits that we work with. Um, but yeah, plenty of opportunity for us to basically to expand kind of country by country and into other um, other geographies that we can serve. Well, it's going to be exciting to follow your progress and the great work you're doing across many countries or increasing number of countries. And I guess fantastic advice, particularly on this grant uh, uh, application that you bring to so many organizations. I wonder if there's any final advice you would offer, Gary, for someone who's thinking about nonprofit leadership. You're certainly working with many of them. Anything else you would add to someone pondering this kind of career path? Yeah, I would say that one of the like most important levers you have when you're just getting started, and this is like for nonprofits as well as uh, for-profit companies, is to really reduce the scope. Like actually concentrate your efforts on fewer things that right. you think are going to be the things that are most uniquely um, going to d differentiate you in terms of the the kind of the value that you can provide to the community. And by reducing that scope, that can often help with overall trying to figure out what that sustainable flywheel looks like. So a really easy example is like if you wanted to start a program and you know you can see that the need is in like three different cities, just start with one and see within that one, like what is the kind of minimum viable program that you can have to demonstrate some sort of um, success or like to actually demonstrate validation of your hypothesis on how you're going to be going about um, adding value in that community. And then from there, you know, you have those, you have the beginnings of a sustainable flywheel to kind of fundraise and, and tell that story. But um, just going back to the beginning here, just, uh, you know, the, the piece of advice here is to see if there are ways to concentrate your efforts, limit your scope and do fewer things better uh, so that you can create that sustainable flywheel faster. Great advice. I knew you would uh, come full circle in a sense from what you started in terms of the great advice you started with. And that is indeed something for our listeners to ponder as they consider the flywheel that they're trying to get in motion and creating the the kind of logic model and other ways you've described it. So thank you for all of that, Gory. And of course, as you know, if I can ask for a parting gift, as I do for each guest, has there been a book meaningful to you on your journey that you might recommend for our listeners? Yeah, a book that had a really big impact on me was this book called The Courage to be Disliked. Um, uh, it's by um, an author, um, Ichiro Kishimi um, and Fumitake Koga. Um, yes. But the book is The Courage to be Disliked. And, um, you know, it's more, it's like not exactly like directly like a nonprofit, like leadership book. That's or okay. Or leadership That's okay. Book, but, but it really helped me to um kind of unpack some of the things that like some emotional blockers that might be getting in the way of of being able to be a successful leader. That's fantastic. And I bet that will resonate with many of our listeners who are dealing with a variety of things, uh, nonprofit or not. Uh, there are issues of leadership that, that sounds like the courage to be disliked is something that will be a fascinating read. So happy to add it to the recommended list for your path to nonprofit leadership. Gory, this has been fantastic. Lots of good things to, to take away. Where can people find out more about you and the great work you're doing through Instrumental? Yeah, you can go to check out our website. It's instrumental.com. It's 
it's spelled instrument and then the letter.com. And you can go to the website. We have a 14 day free trial. You can try us out totally risk-free. Uh, you don't even have to put in a credit card. If, if you're not quite ready to, um, you know, if grants are not quite at the forefront and, but you want to tell just like a le learn more about it. Um, we have a blog as well, instrumental.com forward slash blog. Um, and I'll send over, um, some links that might be helpful that we can include in the show notes that just might be helpful as you're getting started in your journey, just to have some free resources to, um, get you started. Um, and we also do have a coupon code. If you do end up trying out the trial, the free trial and you, and you wanted to, um, go with us kind of monthly or annually, I can share a coupon code that we can also add to the show notes to give you a little bit of a discount. It's fantastic. Grateful for yet another addition to the feedback and ideas and advice you're offering. So Gory, for that, I'm thankful. And again, I appreciate your joining me on the path. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Gory as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas that can guide you on your leadership journey and maybe help your nonprofit organization be more effective in the grant funding arena. Don't forget about the show notes. They are available on our website, PattonMcDowell.com. You can find out more about Gory and the great work she's doing through Instrumental, as well as a number of resources she's linked up for us. Remember, this is episode number 170, and you can go to the podcast page. As well as on that page, you can share this episode. Each episode, in fact, has the tools built in so you can share on whatever social media platform you are most comfortable. As always, thank you for following this podcast in general. And if you haven't subscribed, go to the follow button on that page and it will allow you to do just that. You won't miss out on any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday. And of course, if you like this one, click on the episodes button at the top of that same page. You can scroll through thumbnails of dozens of our best episodes, uh, most popular episodes. You can search by topic or guest name, and you'll have more resources at your disposal. Thanks, as always, for what you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now. Keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week. I'll see you next time on The Path.